0: This is the Fertile Mindset podcast where we explore all the emotional aspects of fertility to support you on your path to parenthood. My name is Sarah Holland. I'm the Fertile Mindset coach and a mother to two children after my own fertility challenges. I hope you find all the support and inspiration you need within this podcast to carry you forward on your fertility journey towards your own successful outcome. It's also my wish that through listening to these episodes, you rediscover how to enjoy life now. And live it to the full while you wait for your baby. Now, let's begin today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Fertile Mindset Podcast. My name is Sarah Holland, and I have a story to share with you today. And this is completely unprepared. I have no notes whatsoever, no bullet points to read from. I just want to share with you my own fertility story. Now, this started because in a recent episode, I talked about adoption for the first time. It was called Why Don't You Just Adopt?, which is the thing that people will say to us when we're trying for a baby and trying hard and maybe going through lots of fertility, treatment cycles, lots of IVF, they'll come up with the helpful advice of why don't you just adopt? Like we've never thought of that before, like it's something new to us. But there is so much more behind that decision of whether or not adoption is right for you. And that was what that episode was about and I touched on my own personal story a little bit in that episode because I am a mother to two children through both birth and then through adoption so I had a little bit of experience and an own personal feelings around it to share and I said in that episode you know if anyone would like to hear more about our adoption story then please let me know and I will do another podcast episode on it. Well, that episode is the one I've had the most emails, the most messages about. First of all, thanking me for going there and talking about adoption. Some were already on an adoption path themselves. Some people were just wanting it in the back of their mind as a potential option and just wanted to explore how they felt about it and get a bit more understanding about it. And alongside all the feedback about the episode, there was always as well, please do another episode about your journey. We really want to hear about it. So I did consider that, but I thought, actually, I want to start with my fertility story first, which you could say is kind of the first chapter of my story, and then move on to the adoption story next. So this week is about the fertility story. Next week will be about our adoption story. And what I'm going to share with you, um, I hope is useful in some way. I know I always love to listen to other people's real life experiences and what was actually going on behind the scenes, what they were thinking, what they were feeling. And, you know, how did they make this work for them? And I'm not saying that how my journey went will be full of advice and tips for you and your journey, because we are all completely different and we all have different needs. But I do hope that it gives you some support, some inspiration that little nudge of motivation to keep going, keep going towards creating your family for as long as you want and need to. And that's what I hope for from everything from this Fertile Mindset podcast is that you do find that kind of gentle but loving support and nudge, you know, towards keeping going for your dreams and making it happen and finding the strength inside you to do that. So let's start with my story now. My fertility story, I would say, starts way back. And I'm going to say, I mean, it starts on the day I was born, or even before that, in utero, before I was born. But I'm going to start it at age 10. Because when I was 10 at school, in the last year of junior school, we had the sex education classes, which is a pretty standard age here, at least in the UK, for for starting to teach children about where babies come from. And one of our assignments was to go home, and speak to our parents and ask them to tell us the story of our birth then to write it down a bit like you were a reporter write it down and bring it in and share it with your teacher share it with the class so I did that absolutely and I was a good student I did all my work I was enthusiastic about it I went home and I spoke to my mum and I asked her to tell me the story of my birth um (laughs) I'm not going to give you all the the detail right now, because I don't think any of us need to hear that. But the fact is that I came into the world in a very um, emergency-like situation. You know, both my mother's life and my life definitely as well were at risk. And it was a pretty traumatic story for my mother to tell me, and then for me to pass on to my teacher, who, by the way, was lovely Miss Webb, I'll never forget her, one of my favourite teachers, who was just a few years out of college and, you know, fairly newly qualified teacher, hadn't wasn't married, didn't have children yet herself. And I sat with her as she asked me to share the story and I saw her face go pale and shocked and she didn't really know what to say about this dramatic story. And as I saw her reaction, I felt that too and I understood How serious these words were that I was sharing, you know, how how actually dramatic and and dangerous that that birth experience was and how I was very lucky to be here, you know, and what what my mother had been through as well. It was huge. And from that day onward, I think I had this knowledge, just this knowledge that I would never give birth to a baby. I would never be pregnant. I would never give birth because that was way too dangerous and scary. Why would anyone do that? And I did have a little um, seed of inspiration, you could say, at the back of my mind of then I would just adopt a baby, you know, because I would no way want to give birth to a baby. And I remember, I think at the time, I don't don't know how old I was, maybe a few years after that um, celebrity couple, as they were here in the UK, Dawn French and Lenny Henry. I remember that they adopted their daughter and it was in the news. And I remember thinking, Yep, that'll be me. It was just like a a given, you know, I won't, I'm not going to have a baby. So fast forward uh, about 10, 15 years when I'm engaged to my husband-to-be. We've been together since we were 16 and 17. We're going to get married and I'm making it very clear to him that I can never, ever have a baby. I just can't do this. It's it's too dangerous to me. It's too scary. I will never want to be pregnant and have a baby. And I wanted to check that he was OK with that before we got married because I knew it was a big big decision to be, you know, making. And all he would say is, don't worry, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. He wouldn't say, don't worry, that's fine. We won't have children or I definitely want children. He was just, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And whether he had some extra wisdom, I'll never know, but I accepted that and we got married. When um in 1999, we got married and we were happily married for a number of years. Subject of children never came up. We were just happy the two of us. It was great. Then, moving forward a few more years, I think it would have been 2003, so perhaps four years married around that time, and that is when I discovered the amazing technique EFT, which if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or you're connected with me in any way, you'll know that EFT tapping is the technique that I use at Fertile Mindset, it's the technique that I use for fertility support, and it works with any kind of emotional challenge, fears, phobias, anxiety, whatever it may be. And I discovered EFT in 2003 to overcome a public speaking phobia. And this technique worked brilliantly. It worked instantly. And as soon as I had these results and I started being able to give talks to groups of people and enjoying the process, I thought, wow, this technique is amazing. And I started to use it on other things for myself and I shared it with friends. Very soon I trained in it professionally. But before that, I think it was before my professional training, I'm pretty sure it was, was, I remember one day thinking, you know, I've cleared a lot of kind of emotional stuff in myself, a lot of fears and anxieties and worries. And I had just this glimmer of a thought at the back of my mind that said, I really want to have a baby. (laughs) I really do want to have a baby. And I know lots of people probably hear that when they're much younger. You know, I was 20, how old was I? 25, 26, I think at that stage, 26. But it was a really persistent voice. And I decided to sit one sunny day in my garden. I remember it was June, and um, I had a deck chair out in the garden, and I sat there and I thought, actually, I'm gonna work on this with tapping. I'm gonna discover, do I really want to have a baby? Is that, is that my plan now? And I acknowledged all the fears, all the evidence that I'd collected over the years about why it would be dangerous, scary, not a great idea to have a baby whether that was the fear of labour and childbirth. Um, Also, my my life's experience had been that my own father is absent. He hadn't known me hardly at all through my life. And I was kind of worried about, would I be that kind of parent? You know, there were lots of different thoughts in my mind. So I sat that sunny June day on the deck chair, and I just worked through tapping and tapping all these different fears and worries and beliefs until they'd all been released, they'd all neutralised, or they'd all transformed into something else. And surprisingly, they transformed into, I want to have a baby right now. I'm actually quite excited about the prospect of giving birth. And I do believe that I'd be a good parent. So that was quite a turnaround. (laughs) I spoke to my husband to cut a very long story shorter so I can get onto the fertility part with you. But yeah, I spoke to my husband. We went away on a holiday. We decided on that holiday that we'd make a decision. And we did. And we decided to have a baby. And that was that. We were on that path to parenthood. It was very, very exciting. I didn't have any doubts or any fears at all. It felt amazing. So I came off contraception and I started watching my cycles because I had been working in the world of fertility for years before this. I'd been supporting people with reflexology and then also with EFT once I qualified in that too. And yeah, I had lots of experience of fertility tests and fertility treatments and the different diagnoses and the whole picture and the whole experience of what it was like actually to be dealing with fertility issues before I even decided to try for myself. So what I decided to do as soon as I came off contraception was to start charting my cycles. So every morning I was taking my temperature and I was charting it and I wanted to see what my cycles looked like because I knew what a healthy cycle chart looked like with with my clients and I knew what problems there could be as well. And what I saw, um, because actually I realised my periods were very close together, they were about every 20 days or less sometimes, very, very close together, and all of the charts had flat lines. There was no sign of any ovulation. And that lasted quite a while, that there was no ovulation happening at all. So I did start to go down the route of, well, what can I do? You know, I was a reflexologist at that point. I had experience of acupuncture and nutrition and lots of different um, modalities that were in my kind of circle of my friends and therapists that I knew. So I started exploring what I could do and stepped into all sorts of different things. And I remember the day when I saw the first ovulation. I saw my temperature go up after a couple of days. It stayed up. And then the, um wasn't an app at the time, there were no such thing as apps, but it was online with Fertility Friend. My online account showed me that this is when you ovulated. And I was so excited. I was literally celebrating my ovaries working. It was amazing <laughs> because I knew that I needed an ovulation in order to get pregnant. You know, we know that much, don't we? And I that was the first step, it was amazing. But still, I wasn't getting pregnant and still my cycles were very short. In particular, my luteal phase was very short. It was you know, nine, 10, maybe 11 days sometimes, but way too short to be able to get pregnant and stay pregnant. And the more research I did and reading and consulting experts, I realized that this was the major problem that I needed to resolve. Alongside that, because we'd gone past our year of trying to conceive naturally, Both myself and my husband had gone to see our doctor and we'd started initial fertility tests. And my husband's sperm analysis came back borderline. And that threw us as well. We were like, oh gosh, we didn't realise there were going to be two issues here. And when I looked at the borderline, like it was, I forget what the numbers were now, but at the time, however many tens of millions it was, the doctors were like saying, well, it's okay, it's borderline. But then I did some research with what the recommended minimum counts were. And it actually turned out that they'd, they just realigned them because apparently these counts, I think they're set by the World Health Organization, and they take into account the average world sperm count. And because that is dropping, they get their norm figure will drop as well. And that had dropped, they'd reassessed it in the last year or so. And actually where my husband was, although it was now kind of just about normal, looking at how they used to measure it, it was way below normal. So we took that quite seriously. And we're like, well, you know, if we're looking at really taking care of my health and boosting my fertility, then we need to do that with you as well. And so we both went on a program of acupuncture. We both went to acupuncture weekly for quite a while. We totally changed our diet and our lifestyle. We stopped drinking alcohol and caffeine and refined sugar. And I, I was increased my protein intake, um, did lots of different things, took the highest quality fertility supplements we could find, lots of different things to support our fertility naturally. Now, because I had gone through the NHS to my GP and we'd had these initial tests, which showed up problems with both of us, we were referred then to a fertility consultant at the hospital. And by the time that appointment came round, which there was a little wait for it, but by the time it came round, I had been charting, I think for a year and a half, maybe getting on for two years at the time. So we'd been trying for a year and a half or two years. I can't remember now exactly. And I decided to print off all of my charts. <laughs> all I was a very good fertility student. I printed off all of my charts month on month. I'd done little analysis to show how many months I was ovulating, what my kind of average day of ovulating was, how short my luteal phase was. And I had this dossier of information that I took along to the fertility specialist. I'd also been getting monthly progesterone blood tests taken. I'd had the standard one on the NHS, and then I decided to continue to have them monthly at seven days post-ovulation so I could see what my progesterone levels were, as I felt that was probably the main problem, and it showed that it was. You know, I had all the the results in black and white, so I took all of this along to the the doctor, and she did various examinations and tests with me. I gave her the um, dossier, (laughs) and she looked at it, and she handed it back. And she said, I don't understand any of this. You you understand this, but I don't understand what it means. And all I can do for you today is I can prescribe Clomid. And she was already writing the prescription for me. And I can put you on the waiting list for NHS IVF. So that in the UK, that is funded IVF treatment, which of course is ama- an amazing opportunity. But she was already, literally already written the, the prescription and was typing my name in for the um, waiting list without asking me any questions. And I said to her, you know, I know that I'm ovulating, so do I really need a drug to help me ovulate? And by this point, I'd actually had a couple of chemical pregnancies as well. So I knew that the sperm could meet the egg. You know, I know that happened, which is one of the main reasons that IVF exists, is to help the sperm meet the egg. And I knew that was happening. And I, I could see from my research, my tests, the, the consultations I'd had with other people, that the progesterone was the problem for me. The luteal phase was the problem. I think my, at that point, I think my husband's account had increased as well. What he'd been doing had worked and, and we were in a good place there. So I said that to her and I never forget, I was looking at her badge, which said on it, fertility specialist. And she was giving me my paperwork back saying, I don't understand it. Now, Gosh, that was so frustrating. I can't tell you how frustrating that was, having waited for this appointment for so long and hoping that they would give me a solution and listen to me. You know, I was giving them medical information. I wasn't going on some woo-woo kind of place. You know, I was look, showing my hormone levels and so on. But she wasn't agreeing with me. And that's, that's how it is. You know, every expert, every specialist works within their own training, within their own knowledge. And I realized that I'd come into an area here that wasn't something that she had experience with. She was the consultant, the registrar, I forget which way around they are, but whichever the lower level is, she was that. And she went, I think she was the registrar and she went off to get the consultant. I think it's that way to just double check. And she said, no, he says the same. There's nothing we can do for you here. Your charts are so erratic. Your cycle lengths go from anything from 18 days to 35 days. That means you're not ovulating. And I knew I was ovulating because I'd had the blood tests and I'd had a couple of chemical pregnancies. So obviously, and I pointed that out. I said, well, obviously I can't get pregnant unless if I don't ovulate. She went, oh, well, oh, you must have ovulated those two cycles then, but all the rest of them you can't be. And we were just butting heads at that stage. We were getting nowhere. So I took a very brave step, which is kind of the way I do things in life anyway. And I just discharged myself from their care. I said, well, thank you very much for your time. I don't require the Clomid prescription at this point or the IVF at this point. Um, so I'm going to go off and, and continue to consult with people who've supported me so far and I'm going to see if I can get pregnant in a different way and she didn't really understand I don't think I don't know if they've ever had anyone just walk out of a uh, appointment in that way turning down free, free um, fertility drugs and free IVF but it's what felt right for me at the time so I left and I continued with my weekly acupuncture doubled down on everything we were doing and came round to Christmas day 2006. I'll never forget it. Christmas Day, 2006. I think I was 10 days post-ovulation. And that was the date that I always took a pregnancy test. And I did it every cycle. Because my cycle length was so short, and I'd often get my period on the 11th day after ovulation, I wanted to test with a sensitive pregnancy test each time. So I knew whether I had had a chemical pregnancy, whether the sperm and egg had met, it had created an embryo, it had begun to travel down and had began to implant, that is what would show up on the pregnancy test. So I took that test at 10 days ovulation and I saw a line, Christmas Day 2006, half past five in the morning I think it was, my husband was still fast asleep, uh, we were doing Christmas Day that year for his parents who were coming over so we had lots to do but still he was still asleep at half five as I would have been normally, I'm sure. Um, but I woke him up, I was like shaking him awake, going, come on, look at this, look at this. And I know, I, I remember i just got some new glasses and it was still dark as well. So we put the light on, I put my new glasses on. I was like, I've just got to check that there's a line there. And he was like, yes, there is a line. And I said, yes, there is, isn't there? And we were so excited. Christmas Day, what a gift. Amazing to see that line. And for some reason, although I'd had a couple of chemical pregnancies before, this one did feel different. You know, but when I'd seen the chemical pregnancies before, I'd seen the line before. I didn't know they were chemicals. I'd seen the line, and I was just waiting to see. I would test again the next day and the next day, and then my period came anyway. And we didn't ever get any further with those pregnancies. But this one, I think we were further down the line. We'd had so many good results with my cycle and the acupuncture, and my husband's count improving. Everything was looking great, and it just felt kind of magical. Christmas Day, you know, is the best gift ever. So we decided to just put that in a drawer to get on with Christmas Day, um, me to avoid the wine and the soft cheeses (laughs) discreetly while we did Christmas Day for my in-laws. And what happened next uh, was kind of the biggest part, I would say, of my fertility treatment and journey. You know, even though I was pregnant already, I'd gone through those years of like natural balancing and supporting me and getting pregnant. And now here I was, I was pregnant. And what I discovered in the meanwhile is that I would need, or I would, I I wanted to have progesterone supplementation the next time I got one of those pregnancies. So here I was with my line on Christmas Day. I needed progesterone supplements, but of course it was Christmas Day, and then it was Boxing Day, and on the twenty seventh, I was still pregnant. My period hadn't come, and I phoned the clinic in London, and I said, you know, this is what I've been advised to do. Can I come in for a scan? and possibly then get the progesterone prescribed if it's needed and if I am still pregnant and they said yes you can but um, the person you need to see is actually skiing at the moment (laughs) and they'll be in I think it was on let me think I think it was the 29th yeah I'm pretty sure it's the 29th of December So we're like, okay, right, that's fine. And on the 27th, we went out to um, London again. I live near London, so it felt like we are just going to and fro to London all the time. But we went out to London and we went to a comedy night and we had the best time. We just wanted to laugh and have fun and just distract ourselves from the fact that I was pregnant again. And we were still waiting because the clinic wasn't open. I couldn't go and get the progesterone. And it, it was a great evening, I remember it. But I do also remember myself, every time an act finished and a new act came on, I went to the loo. I, like, I took the two-minute break between comedy acts <laughs> to run to the loo, we were right on the aisle, I remember it, and do a quick knicker check. And you'll know what that's about if you know <laughs> you're on the same page as me, looking for any sign. Is there any spotting? Is there any blood? And there wasn't nothing at all. So got through that evening, had a great time. And I'm sure that the laughter did us the world of good. And then it came round to the 29th. Now, 29th of December, the whole country still felt a bit sleepy and a bit shut down. And I was like, well, if I'm going to go to this clinic in London, they do a scan and they see that I am pregnant and they confirm I do need progesterone. They'd already told me that I should be able to get that then prescribed by my own doctor on the NHS and that would be easier and quicker than them doing it through their clinic. I think the the prescribing doctor wasn't around either because of Christmas so I was like right okay so that means I've got to go to the clinic in London then come back to see my GP and get the progesterone. So I phoned my GP surgery, amazing surgery, They, they were just brilliant, I'm still with them now and they listened to me, they understood exactly what I was saying and they said okay if you get to the surgery as soon as you can from London with the report because we will need to see a recommendation that you need this progesterone then we will get the doctor to write the prescription very quickly sign it off and you'll get that before the pharmacy across the road shuts so i was like great fantastic and i think it was six o'clock all this had to be done by so we went into london it was quite a long journey on the train the underground going to the clinic and we had the scan and it was amazing it was amazing to see and fascinating there was no No embryo showing. You know, I was exactly four weeks pregnant at this stage, two weeks after ovulation. And there was no embryo that could be seen because it can't be seen at that time. But what they could show me was that I had ovulated from my left ovary. And they could show me the blood flow that was still flowing, keeping the corpus luteum alive so that it can produce enough progesterone in order to maintain the pregnancy, maintain the lining until the placenta grew and had developed enough to take over. And I believe that's between 10 and 11 weeks. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, it was a a way off. I was only at four weeks. And what he said as he scanned me was that he could see that there wasn't enough blood flow going to the corpus luteum. There was some blood flow but not enough. The corpus luteum was dying away. And when it did, I would lose this pregnancy. So it was clear, it was so clear that we needed that, that medication and we needed it right away. So he quickly typed up a letter to my doctor. He attached the um, scan information and the recommendation for progesterone. And we grabbed that letter and we ran. <laughs> we ran to the station onto the underground, through London, onto our train. Got out of the train station. It was pouring with rain. It's December, it's winter, it was, it was dark and the rain was tipping down. And we had, it would have been about a 15 minute walk and I think it was like 10 to six. It was like so tight, it was insane. So we'd already phoned the doctor and we'd already said, we're on our way. Can you get the prescription ready? This is what it says. And they're like, yes, we'll just need to see it before we can sign the prescription. So we ran, ran, ran through the rain Gosh, it made me think now, you know, all that talk about being really careful. People who have IVF and have the embryo transferred and be so careful, you know, lie down, no, no vigorous exercise. And there's me running through my town in the driving rain, totally out of breath and on adrenaline. <laughs> so we got to the surgery. We had the prescription in our hand. We went to the pharmacy. I had the cyclogest- progesterone. We went home just as quickly. I inserted one straight away and lay on the sofa still and took a deep breath and prayed and hoped that my baby would be safe. That was four weeks pregnancy. We then got to five weeks. We went for another scan back into London and he said, Great, you know, it's looking good. Progesterone's doing its job. Your lining's good. And now we can see the embryo there and it's looking how it should. It is measuring a tiny bit small, but don't worry about that. It can be inaccurate at this time, he said, the measurements. And then he said, I'd like to see you again in two weeks' time at seven weeks. And that is when we can do a heartbeat scan and we can hear the heartbeat if it's present. And he said, and I know two weeks will seem like a long time to you. So if you need to come back beforehand, you can. But somehow I got through that five to seven, and we waited and we went back at the seven. And he showed us the little flickering heart on the screen and then he turned on the speaker and that tiny little speck of a heart was booming so loud. It was amazing, really amazing to hear that. And from then on, my pregnancy went amazingly and I did have my baby boy and he was born in September 2007 and, and now he's 14 years old. So we've come a long way since those those tiny, tiny scan pictures and, and all of that waiting, all of that wondering. And it was interesting because um, early on in my pregnancy, I got a letter through. I had been referred on for specialist consultant care for my pregnancy. And I thought, I wonder why, because everything's OK, you know, there's no problems with this pregnancy. So I went along to the appointment and it was the doctor that I hadn't seen that day, the one that the um, female doctor had gone to talk to, to say that this patient isn't happy, she wants you to come and see her and wants to talk about progesterone and whatever. And he dismissed it and said no, and he wouldn't come and see me. So anyway, I'd been referred to this doctor for uh, what they put as recurrent miscarriage because of the, the chemical pregnancies. Um, and now this pregnancy, they wanted to put me under consultant care. So I went into his office, I was like, oh, hello, and like, why are we here? So he was looking at my paperwork. Okay, so you've repeated miscarriage. And, and I, I remember saying to him, I said, you know, I, I did get pregnant. And he's like, what? What do you mean? And I said, you know, I was here six months ago, whenever it was, I was here six months ago, and I, I was advised I needed Clomid, I needed IVF. And I knew that I didn't need those things at that time. Um, I knew I just needed help with my hormone balance. And natural therapies were doing so much. Acupuncture and so on had really helped me. And I also needed progesterone. And no one here could help me. And I went and I got that myself. And here I am, I'm pregnant. So I just wanted to let you know what worked for me. You know, that this is a success. And obviously, you know, that didn't go down well. <laughs> well, he wasn't very interested. And and it's a shame, you know. It just felt a shame that there wasn't more kind of coming together of everything that the patients are telling the doctor you know this is what worked for me it wasn't strictly medical or natural it was a combination of the two and in my own special unique case which all cases are unique and special you know this is what worked for me and yeah he wasn't there was no interest whatsoever and he said look you don't need to be under my care there's no risk to this current pregnancy you know I'll sign you off back to midwife care and I was very happy to have that that was wonderful so Yeah, it was a a little bit disheartening that there wasn't more integration there, you could say. And and since then, especially in the work I do, I've met so many fertility doctors who are truly integrated and, and look at everything that the patient tells them, everything they're experiencing, looking at how different modalities can support each other. And there's more than one way, you know, there's more than one way to bring about pregnancy. So, yes, my baby boy was born four minutes before his due date because I did end up needing an emergency cesarean in very, very different circumstances to the emergency cesarean I was born by. So, although I spent a lot of time in my pregnancy and before kind of preparing myself for birth, getting excited about birth, wanting a natural birth, we had a birth pool booked for home, we had a midwife booked for a home birth, you know, it was going to be amazing. I was really looking forward to the whole experience. And I ended up being transferred to hospital and having a caesarean, which you could feel is disappointing or whatever. You know, there's mixed thoughts around what it's like to experience a caesarean when you, you really, really wanted that natural birth experience. But for me, when I look back, it felt almost like it was just the last bit of my healing that I needed to do. You know, I'd had such a, a dramatic entrance into the world via caesarean that had clouded the way I looked at being a mother for the first 20 years, 20 plus years of my life. I'd come to terms with that. I'd healed, I'd gone on, I'd conceived my baby. And that last experience that I had there of actually having a very calm, very gentle, very empowered cesarean was amazing because all my needs were being listened to. It was as positive experience as it could be for what is actually major surgery. And my recovery from it was amazing. And it's made no difference to me, you know, of of how, how I view myself of a woman who's birthed a baby. I still absolutely birthed a baby. So, yeah, it was interesting for me to go through that experience of having a positive cesarean experience when all I'd known about was a, a negative one before that had brought up all that fear for me. So that's my story of child number one. <laughs> child number one who came to us in September 2007. After two and a half years of trying for our baby, that's when I I finally found out I was pregnant and then he came to us eight months later. Then there is another chapter. (laughs) There is another chapter to our story because we did always want to have two children and that's another story in itself, which is still partly fertility, but then partly talks about adoption and I would really love to share that one with you as well. So rather than putting them together into a super long episode, I'm going to save that for next time. I'm sure there are many more things that I could have shared with you. As I said, I made no notes today. I had no bullet points to work from. I just want to speak to you from the heart about my own experience on my own fertility journey. If you have any questions, anything else you'd like to know, feel free to get in touch. You can message me on Instagram or on email at mail at fertilemindset.com you can find me on Instagram at fertile underscore mindset. So that's me. That's the first part of my fertility story. Really, really lovely to have the opportunity to share it with you. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. I'm so pleased you're listening to the Fertile Mindset podcast. And now I would love to invite you to join us in the Fertile Mindset Sanctuary. The Sanctuary is my fertility support membership, which is focused on taking care of you and helping you enjoy your life while you wait for your baby. In the Sanctuary, I'll guide you through using an amazing technique called EFT or tapping, and you'll soon be feeling less stressed and more joyful. If you're not already in the Sanctuary, do come and join us today because the best time to start receiving support on your fertility journey is always right now. Honestly, it makes such a difference to have good quality emotional support and techniques that you can pick up and use yourself whenever you need them. Go to FertileMindset.com sanctuary to join us today. I look forward to hopefully seeing you there and at the next episode of the Fertile Mindset podcast.